Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to the book club. We have Bernice Harrison, Anne Ingle and Neve Towie as always with us to discuss a very small little book. It's probably the smallest book we've ever discussed. The book is So Late in the Day by Claire Keegan. And the blurb goes like this. After an uneventful Friday at the Dublin office, Carl faces into the long weekend and takes the bus home. There, his mind agitates over a woman named Sabine, with whom he could have spent his life had he acted differently. All evening, with only the television and a bottle of champagne for company, thoughts of this woman and others intrude, and the true significance of this particular date is revealed. So, that is the the premise of this book. It's very small, as I said. I think it's 6,000 words. Anne Ingle, what did you make of So Late in the Day? Well, I loved the book. It was a complete little scenario of a man who I actually detested. I mean, it's very rare that I, I come upon a character in a book that I really could actually want to shake. But he is not a nice man and he deserves exactly what Sabine, his would-be fiance, you know, her, his fiance gave him. So there's not another word needed in that book. OK, it's a short book. But it says everything that you need to know about a very mean, cruel, small-minded man in the latter end of, you know, trying to find some kind of love. I don't think he wants love. He just wants somebody there to cook the dinners, really and truly. And so it's just beautiful. It's just a beautiful book and every word is brilliant. Uh, so I, I was totally blown away by it. And I, you say it's short, but what more could you have said? I mean, she said it all in that little book. Um, and it, <clears> it, it's, to me, it doesn't matter how long a book is once it says it all. I'm not complaining about it being short, by the way, I just want to say. And also Claire Keegan, who we'll talk about in a more wider terms in a moment, I think. Uh, she says that she doesn't feel a book has been read until it's been read twice. So actually, it's probably 12,000 words if you read it twice. I've actually read it three times. So that's whatever, 18,000 words if my maths is correct. But I agree with you uh, completely on that. Is there anything else now that you'd like to say? You've you've you've, you've used very much um, what I would say Keegan-esque restraint in that. And I love it. Well, because I don't want to give anything away, really. Okay. Uh, this is a, a little perfect book. It's a small book. It won't take you very long to read or listen to it about 45 minutes, you know, and it's beautifully told by, uh, oh, herself. Yes, this one she does herself. Herself, Claire Keegan in Yes, <laughs> yes. So what is she like reading her own work? I've oh, heard her a bit and oh, she's fantastic, she, isn't she? Just perfect, just perfect. But there is a swear word in it, which I believe... There's a few swear words, the, the same word yes, repeated. The same, the same yeah. nasty word, um, which she says, um, apparently there was somebody, I think it was George Saunders or something. Yes, it was, was George Saunders. Read it because, read it out loud on um, the New York, um, yes, New Yorker because, podcast, I think. Because he said uh, he couldn't say that word. But Claire has no problem <laughs> saying that word. And, and I've heard her say that she very deliberately chose that word. And in fact, in the in the book, that word is, is a word that many 
uh, Irish men use about women and is used very widely. So yes. she had no but, problem. But using you're it. right. What she said. She said when and she was someone said to her, "Your book is very short." And like you just said, she said, "We'll read it twice." <laughs> And that's a very good reason, you know, because it's worth reading twice because there's nuances, you know, and it's beautifully written. It's just literature at the highest level, but it's so readable. Like anybody could pick that up and read that book. But it's a work of art, in my opinion. A little work of art. Lovely. Well, very well done, Anne. Um, Neve Towie, uh, are we all going to be saying the same thing? I'm very fascinated to hear are we or not? Yes, I absolutely love <laughs> okay. this. I don't think you can not like Claire Keegan. Is that possible? I haven't met a single person who hasn't liked what she's written. But um, so I'm coming at it this from being a big fan. Um, and it was actually quite different to the other two I'd read, which is Small Things and Foster, in that this was very much a short story as opposed to the other two felt like novels that had been like condensed into um, much shorter versions. This is very much a short story. So I had lots of kind of questions or... Um, I could have read another 6,000 words by not reading it twice, by actually another 6,000 words. Um, That's just being greedy. <laughs> yeah. But it was funny how it kind of develops in your mind as you're reading it. You're kind of, you start off thinking, oh, this guy, Cahill, he's looking out the window in Dublin. He's noticing little small things. He must be a nice guy because, I don't know, a lot of these guys in these novels are, turn out to be nice guys. And then you begin to read it and he doesn't want the woman talking to him on the bus home and he starts giving out about the price girlfriend movement. So the price of cherries is what got me. That really got me because I thought that's such a man thing to give out about. She came home with the cherries that he bought and they were, what, six euro or something? From Lidl. From Lidl. They weren't even like and he was, food she market was cherries. She was making a kabuti. Yes. She was making this beautiful, this beautiful French dessert. dessert. I'm glad you said that first, not I me, because I had no was. idea how I'm to pronounce it. I'm hoping that the S is silent. I'm hoping. Can you, more cultured people tell me, is the S silent in Clifford? It's French, it must be. Yeah, yeah. Go on, go on anyway. Sorry, I interrupted um, you. But the cherries. Was so the, the cherries oh. uh, really uh, typified what he's like and We've all met men like that who are so miserable that they can't appreciate a good cherry. And uh, <laughs> she describes in detail how beautifully, how beautifully she makes this uh, tart, this clafouti. And uh, like her language is how she describes, you know, her folding over the edges of the pie with her thumbs yes. and creating like you can almost, you can almost you can feel it. it. You can smell it. And just the scene in the house. This woman has brought this just beautiful warmth into this man's home and he's given out about the price of the cherries and uh, he just doesn't appreciate the art form of a woman's touch and I thought that summed it all up for me and it was at that well I'm possibly beforehand I'd realised exactly what was going on but that was the real key moment in the book for me um, that kind of summed it all up and then of course you get to the end and I hadn't read the back page before I started it and I see that it was published under another title in France Misogyny yes. mm-hmm. and that really misogyny. actually Misogyny <laughs> yeah Misogyny Um so, like, this could be called misogyny because that's what it is. It's a book about misogyny. Um, and, I mean, yeah, it kind of makes you angry. Carefully don't break up with your boyfriend after reading it. Like, it's just really... <laughs> what, well, uh, you're your new husband, yeah. Neil, No, indeed. not mine. No, mine is perfect. <laughs> never break, never mine give is, out mine would never give out a price of cherries. No one's going to keep his mouth shut. Um, <laughs> but uh, this was just brilliant, wasn't it? Oh. It's a book to enrage. Oh my God, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Isn't it a book that you just want to buy 10 copies of and just oh, give it to anyone that you love well, and care about? I hope none of my family is listening because I actually bought five. 
I very much doubt they're listening. Unfortunately, I hate to say it, but I don't think any of our yeah, family are Yeah, well, I thought five for five. Did uh, you? Yeah. <laughs> okay, Bernice, let us see. Is it yeah, a hat I mean, trick? What is so extraordinary, I think, in this is the tension mm. of the short story. Like Anne, I listened to it and I listened to her reading it because I first came across it when the short story was published in The New Yorker yes. before it became a, a printed little book. And as you say, she read it and she has a lovely way of reading. She is so undramatic. She just <laughs> reads it straightforward. There's no amdram about the whole thing. She's just reading it straightforwardly. But the key thing about this, I think, is the absolute tension. You have no idea what the, what is unfolding until it unfolds. So she gives him, she gives Carl, he works in the Arts Council. You think, oh, well, that's kind of nice. And then, <laughs> wait a second, he works in this, this really, really dreary department. His job involves sending out, sorry, you didn't get the grant oh, letters. God. And you remember, you know, just on that, you remember they sent out a load of, hey, you got the grant recently. <laughs> and then they have to send out, no, sorry, you didn't get the grant. <laughs> that would be Paulo then. Yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah. So, so he's there. He's So he's got this, the first thing he does, he's working on a budget spreadsheet and he loses loses it. So, you know, so he is looking out the window. So that's nice. He is appreciating nature. And then his colleagues start interacting with him. And as a reader or a listener, you're going, oh, OK, what's this? And they're kind of tiptoeing around him. You still don't know why. And even his boss. And Clarke makes the point of saying his boss is younger than him. So already you're starting to get a picture of Carl. And I don't know what age he is. I reckon he's in his mid-40s. That's what my impression, she doesn't tell you. So you get the impression that this is a guy that things haven't gone really well for him in his scuff shoes. And, and then we learn he only has one pair of shoes uh, later on. So all these little details, she keeps on peppering in and it gives you a bigger, bigger picture of what he is like. And so, but, but again, you still don't know. He's just a bloke who works in an office and you don't know what day it is. And the whole point and I, I, I think I could say what day. No, I don't think we should. Can I we think, not? I think Mother's point is really good. Okay. Because if there's someone listening, yeah, because who's it about is very to tense. Go and get it, and it's only short. So yes, you, yes, and okay. it is tense. And I don't yeah. think we need to. Okay, yeah. And like when he, he is definitely. I think as a reader, you're, you're think he is boxing above his weight when he meets his <laughs> yeah. girlfriend. She is. She's got her white. Talk about her, punching. She, she's got her white. Uh, trouser suit and her sandals and she's flipping French. Like she's just, and she works in an art gallery. She is just He fabulous. met her in Toulouse at a Ex- conference. Exactly. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. So it's all kind of sexy. <sighs> what isn't sexy? Wasted on him. Yeah, but we're, we keep on, so we start getting intimations about Carl. So when he gets on the bus to go home, the, the observation he makes about the woman, very she seems a very pleasant woman that he sits beside, is that she's fat. And he, he mentions fat a lot. Mm. The cat is fat. Mm. Um, they go to the Vermeer painting, the exhibition. Who goes to Vermeer and looks at the milkmaid and thinks the and calls her the hefty milkmaid? Like <laughs> so he, does. Yeah. So he's so as a as a as a reader, you're 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 reading about his girlfriend just think, God, she sounds fabulous. And the main thing he can think about her is that her eyes aren't aren't symmetrical. They're a bit maybe crossed or something. We don't know. But like, so he keeps mentioning that. And there is one, the one pivotal scene in it is when his girlfriend reveals that she has had, she's gone for a drink with his colleague. And she tells him about this drink. And this to me is the centre of the story. She she's telling him what his colleague said, and I think she's kind of telling him this as a sort of an act of quiet revenge because he's treated her so appallingly 
up to that point with these little microaggressions. And I think she's telling him this as a big statement. And it, and her colleague, is, so she's foreign. She asks his colleague, What's, what are Irish men like? You know, is it, because clearly she's sort of mystified by Carl. And she says, uh, the colleague says, you know, uh, half the ma- men of our age are spoiled and they become contemptible when things don't go their way. And that's kind of what happens throughout the book. Carl is contemptible because things do not go his way. And I listened to it three times. Now, one thing on my third listen, I sort of thought, ooh, it's a really, really quiet book. It's a really, really tense book. But actually, it's not in any way subtle. And I suppose Mm. when I started to think about that, I started to see how unsubtle, which isn't a word, I don't think, it is. (laughs) In that, you know, so for example, Carl, when he is living alone, he drinks from the tap. He drops his socks. And he, he and every time he does these things, he, he remarks to himself how happy he is that he can do that because he's on his own. So, so in other words, so that's not subtle. So when he gets on the bus and this woman and he's there thinking, oh, my God, I've made a bad choice. And I'm sitting beside this fat woman yeah. reading a book. And she is literally no interest in him. And she she's just passes the time of day with him. But she's not interested in pretty much talking to him. And he's kind of a little miffed about that because he thought, well, why not? But she's reading The Woman Who Walked Into Doors. And of course, that is uh, a story, Roddy Doyle's story, about domestic abuse. So so in other words, there's nothing subtle, actually, about the portrayal of, of Carl. And I think in less delicate hands than Claire Keegan's. I think that you would have gone away saying, enough already, jeepers, stop bashing us over the head with this. Mm. But you don't think that. And I think that's fascinating. I think that is fascinating. Bernice, thank you so much. Thank you to the three of you for for all those insights and and particularly what you've said there because the fact that you listened to it three times, I think it shows what Claire is saying is true. You know, you came to it with, you've got the layers of it now, I think. That that, um, lack of subtlety wouldn't maybe have struck you even on the first two no, times. No, it absolutely it was didn't actually. You realise all these hammer blows yeah. that are coming or coming. Yeah, and normally I'd be really annoyed by that in a book. It would be really just a bit annoyed. over the top. Oh, totally. Oh, why? Yeah. But it's done so well. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And you mentioned tension. So I think the thing to talk about now that we've kind of... And I'm glad we haven't said, because there will be people who will who will just take this book up now after listening to yeah. us and, and really get to enjoy it in the way that we have. Yeah. Um, 
But the tension is really important because I think the story of how this book came to be written is brilliant. Claire Keegan has been a creative writing teacher for 30 years. We know she's done small things like these. She's done Foster. She's had a book of short stories, which I think... Anne, two, two books, of, two short books of short stories, which Anne, you're the only one I think uh, has read. I'm dying to read them. They're going to be republished. But in this case of this book, So Late in the Day, she was actually at the blackboard in a, in a writing class and she was trying to describe to her students the difference between tension and drama in, in a short story. And she got her chalk out or whatever I'm imagining, or maybe it's a whiteboard, I don't know. And she started off the top of her head talking about this man he's working in a Dublin office he's going home he gets on the bus and starts to talk about the tension in it and what the day means and how that um, emerges and I think it was I don't even know how long it was afterwards but a student asked her are you writing that story and the way the student asked I think made her worry that the student was going to if she wasn't (laughs) writing it going to nick the idea so Claire Keegan thought, well, I better write it. And that's how... So what is that? Like the the, the difference between tension and drama? Then? Yeah. Not, no big drama. No, but just the tension, tension. The quiet tension. And it's all those things that you mentioned, I mm. think. It's like mm. something's going on, but we don't know what it is because nothing has been sort of told to us in such a way that we're like, wow, this big event. But slowly, now, slowly, slowly Why unfolds. do we think the fabulous Sabine fell for Cahill? That's a really good question. Anybody got any theories? A security, I would have thought, you know, maybe. Mm. Yeah, because, like, she's also, while she's presented, you know, as this, like, she's an amazing cook. We get the feeling she's gorgeous. She's just very sophisticated. Well, she's, she's French. She, oh, she's so non-Irish. <laughs> well, she doesn't mind paying three euro for sourdough. No. So, you know, she's, which gets oh, on his oh, nerves. Oh, gets on his nerves about the, he says, he says she bought a cabbage. Which was four euros. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. that, but you couldn't get over yeah. the four euro. And cabbage. she's obviously very easy with people. He mm. lives down. He lives in, in down the country, and she immediately goes down there and she she forms a relationship with the, his next door neighbour, yeah. the farmer, and he says, "Come and big berries on my land." So, in other words, she's really lovely person. But again, we get an insight into her life in just one sentence, where we're told that she lives in a flat share in Rathgar. Uh, with three women who are younger than her. Mm. And you think, oh, okay, Mm. right. Mm." But also I think, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know if I need to read too much into Sabine falling for him because I think that would be, you know, she meets this man. Okay, he might be a bit miserly and whatever, but... It's only gradually she realises the depths of it. He's probably a perfectly grand, and, and I'm sure she's used to like, oh, men are this way. And there's nothing, he doesn't do anything, you yeah. know, so awful immediately to kind of, but gradually it's like it's all the pieces subtle, falling into it? place. Yeah, Like a lot of the things he does are things you might pick up on one or two and men that we've met, but I feel like Cahill has them all. Cahill <laughs> yeah. has all of the bad the guy, red card. flags. The all misogyny at the same bingo time. Card, yeah. Yeah. So I love the line, that when he's thinking back about what happened and everything and he's saying the veil of romance dropped and she saw him. I know. And that's him thinking the veil of romance and you think, hold on a second, there's been no <laughs> actual romance. That was his interpretation of romance. Now there is one and I, I don't think we should actually give the details of it but there's one, there's one scene described and it's so horrible about his growing up and an event yes. that happens in oh, his house God, and it's awful. so awful mm-hmm. and again it's not one of these big horrors that you hear written about in other stories it's not you know because we've heard about horrors happening in people's houses it's not that it's this small thing that happens and, but and, that it reveals so much about the dynamics in that family and gives and he's trying to figure out is this why he is the way he is 
But who uh, tries to think about that for a brief second? Because he's not yeah. really that interested not in trying bothered, to find out. Really. No. Because their brother's bothered. a bad joke too. Yes, exactly. Because he sends a horrible yeah, yeah, text yeah. message. He does. And we, we, better call, we, we better not keep up. Is the people won't even No, but I think we can call that the chair instant, right? And and the chair instant is really important. And I think it's okay to say they also go to buy an important piece of jewellery. And he oh, gives that's out... Such a desperate scene. Again, oh my about God. the cost of that. But of course a, he does. It's a very romantic... <laughs> supposed to be romantic and it, it's But again, just, it's the detail that she puts to it. So they've got the ring. The ring needs to be sized. Yeah. So they go in to pick it up in Grafton Street. Yeah. So we know it's nice and everything. Go in to pick it up. But then she doesn't have them discussing it in the shop. They go outside. outside the shop and he has a, he gives out to her because he says, you know, I'm not made of money. What is this? He's going to he's going to rip me off. He wants to charge for resizing the ring. And that conversation happens outside. And you can just imagine them standing outside having this row on this lovely day. It's only 130 euro. Like what? And then they go back into the shop. So, again, she's so brilliant. So they're they're these little vignettes. I know that. So they have to go back into the shop and then we see how the jeweller relates to them. The jeweller has now got a can, different... Can I just do that, actually? Oh. You know that this item is non-refundable now, that it's custom made and cannot be returned, the jeweller says to him. There'll be no need for anything like that, Cottle said. The jeweller pressed his lips together as though resisting an urge to say something more. But when the transaction was approved, he simply handed Cahill the receipt and the little box, which weighed no more than a box of matches. Oh, I mean, even... So awful. And there's so much of that in this. So much. Yeah. Like, it's just the joy and delight. And you know what? Imagine she's Irish, like Claire Keegan is Mm. Irish. We have this woman walking among us, writing these Mm. books. I'm just so I'm sort of interested in thinking about her and thinking about, we know, obviously, that Foster became on Colin Kuhn. Yeah. We know that small things like these have been filmed right now. Cillian Murphy is starring as the coal man. Exactly. So, and... uh, Ender Walsh has written the script, I think. But what... I sort of found interesting about that was that, you know, we've read several books in this book club. I think one of the last ones that we read that we thought, uh, oh, that's a bit cinematic. I wonder was she writing that with one eye was Bonnie Greer's Lessons, Lessons in, in Chemistry. Chemistry. And of course now it is. It's yeah. this big it's Apple, Apple thing. Yeah. Thing. So, but I think at the time we thought, hmm, I wonder when she was writing that, did she have one eye on the screen? You never get the feeling that Claire Keegan has one eye on the screen. She mm. has one eye on the, she has all her eyes. <laughs> all her eyes. <laughs> on, the page, on the page. Yeah. On the page. And so I think that's fascinating. But yet, I'm Colin Kuhn, extraordinary. I know. So, and I, I can only assume, you know, small things like this will be the same. And, and, you know, again, thinking about it, I could imagine this being filmed easily, easily, easily. And making it into a feature film, actually, even though it's a teeny tiny book, because there's so much in it. But again, I really don't think that's her aim. It's not her aim. And then no, you she, I have a quote from her here where she says, but I expect a great deal of my writing and I'm not writing to please anyone. I just try to write as best I can. I couldn't make it better for anyone else's sake. It's just for herself she writes. And she, she says that, but she also says something else, which I think is brilliant, is that the reader completes the pieces that she writes. So, okay. like, that we are, you know, the other sort of, not saying half or whatever, but we're certainly part of it. She might be writing for herself, but she also knows mm. that we need to be given what we need as readers. And I feel that's really important. And that's really um evident in her that, writing. That really comes across in the short stories, the, the book she wrote, Tell The An- Antarctica. Them. It's just amazing that the re- if you're listening to it on Audible, there are uh, 
Aidan Quinn, I think, is one of the people. And this girl, Aoife McMahon, reads a lot of her work uh, and Aidan Kelly and Sophie Quinn on the Antarctica. And also there you just get stories about America as well as Ireland, which was fascinating to me, and also of London. So she's used other, you know, you would. she's not just an Irish writer, no. but the American ones that she does in it are just amazing. And I'm still thinking about them. And that's the thing you, you say, like the what the reader brings. And I am ending a lot of her short stories in my head from that book. It's just really amazing. What do you I mean? mean? You're creating your own endings. Yes, is that what you're saying? Well, yes. that's what she's sort of saying. You, you yeah. as the reader, well, you that's see, your part. That's, you see, that's the difference between what I believe is the difference between that book is a complete book. It's a story and it's finished. But with some of the short stories, it's different because at the end you can say, oh, was she, that girl, that au pair go back to Australia is she going to stay? You, you know, is that man going to be convicted for that crime or did he really do it? There's, you know, you're just there uh, making up your own things. And she's just got this so clever, every word of that, the Antarctica. And she has written so little. This is what amazes me. I mean, what do they say? 700 pages. So she's got her five books to date run to 700 pages and 140,000 words. Talk about economy of writing. But every one of those words is in the right place saying the right thing. She takes her time. And I would like to say that a lot more writers could take that an example from her because (laughs) I've read a couple of books lately that seem to be very rushed. We'll say nothing. I will say nothing, but... (laughs) She says, elegance is saying just enough. And I do believe the reader completes the story. That's the exact quote. But I I also heard a great... um, interview with her I think it was on RTE and I just wanted to say a couple of things she said about Carl because it's it's really interesting to hear her take on him um, and she talks about his misogyny really and she's talking about the fact that um, it's it's at the heart of it is this lack of generosity you know it's kind of like going back to the cherries you know there's an unnatural fear which is loveless misogyny is a lack of generosity being unable to give getting no pleasure out of giving and how small do you have to be if that is your emotional state but she also says something interesting about um, how the the likes of Cahill maybe she's hoping that they're kind of disappearing as people I mean they're still we know that they're still there but maybe there's fewer of them who knows but she says that she said that um She's delighted with the story in that he's becoming so outdated that he won't be able to meet anyone and nobody will have him and he won't be able to reproduce. And she said, wouldn't it be wonderful if the misogynist were left unable to reproduce in this country? <laughs> so I just thought that was amazing. Well, then now now you, you say that, I wonder, was that the reason why she made Sabine a foreign woman who doesn't know Irish men? Ah. Is that why? And that that Cynthia, his co-worker, okay. puts Sabine wide. She's Irish. That's she puts so Sabine wide and very, very bluntly. She had to learn it. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas we would kind of, like you so, said, Neve, you sort of see these signs, the red, the red flags. Yeah. So yeah. Cynthia would have seen mm. those red flags and went, hello, <laughs> I'm not go, heading off to you to the market to buy three euros. He'd be an incredibly strange him. man in uh, two Irish women. I think that... I've certainly never met anyone with as many red flags as Cahill. <laughs> or have heard of anybody. I don't oh, know. I think they yeah. are. Maybe because really? we're a bit older than you need. Do they have a woman? I've seen uh, I, I've really? seen I've met a yes. lot of them. A lot, a lot of Absolutely. them. Absolutely. <laughs> well, no, then maybe in that case, only... I think maybe they are dying out. Yes. Because good. I haven't met anybody that <laughs> well, bad. Or know of anybody we're that bad. Good, but maybe that. if you were a French woman come yeah. to Ireland, you wouldn't... Yeah. You'd, be, you'd be puzzled. And you'd yeah. think, is... is 
You know, it reminds me, Mom, of speaking of you with your um, dating life. Like, it reminds me when you <laughs> used to go before, I think it was before apps, but when you was like dating websites or whatever, and you used to go, Mum used to go, maybe in your 50s and 60s, meeting men, and you'd come back and tell, tell me about it. And I just couldn't, well, I suppose I shouldn't have been surprised, but the, the, the monologuing that went on. Like, there oh. was times when you went out with the men and they didn't ask you one question about yourself, which I couldn't get over. But you were used to it. Yeah. I mean, that's what they did. If you got somebody who actually laughed at your jokes or <laughs> it was interesting what you had to say, my God, you'd nearly just grab him, like, you know, and run away with him because that's so rarely happened. Yeah. Uh, men are getting better. And maybe that's because women are helping them to get better. Mm. Yeah. It was like he was unable to be softened by her as well. You know, you, you mm. it felt really unusual that she had brought all of this lovely warmth into his life and he still wasn't able to accept it. It was like, maybe as you say, Bernice, he is actually a lot old. I had him in my mind as in his like early 30s. Oh, did you? But maybe oh. actually, as you say now, maybe he actually was an awful lot older and Highness very set in his ways. Mm. Well, I'll tell you the reason why I thought he was in his 40s. Mm. Again, because I think he, because it's a short, essentially short, short story and you have to try to, you have to try to, you know, think what is she telling us, the writer, in that when he sat on the bus with the woman, the first thing she talked about was kids. Do you have kids and kids of this? So oh, she assumed that he's I a think, bit older. That she was mm, the same age as him. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. you wouldn't necessarily say that to a young, to a you know, yeah. fellow in his twenties or thirties. Yeah. Yeah. You'd say it to a person your own age. Okay. I, that, so that's, that's a good read. Yeah. That's where I I thought mm. his character makes a bit more sense in that light. Yeah. Mm. Can I also just mention the brilliant interview that Martin Doyle of this parish did with Claire Keegan as well recently? I don't know if you read it, Bernice, but it was brilliant. It was absolutely yeah. stunning piece of work, but also because of what she said. But she was talking about writing from a man's point of view because if you think about it, small it things him. like these yeah, is yeah. is also from the um, yeah. the lovely Coleman's point of view, and this is as well. And she said, "Women have no difficulty writing from a man's point of view. We are taught." to imagine what pleases a man and what displeases him from the time our heads were lower than the table. My brothers were never taught what pleases or displeases a girl. It is of huge benefit to me as a writer, one of the few benefits of misogyny. The last two books are published are told from the male point of view. And she talks about the fact that children cared for and neglected are at the heart of both foster and small things like these and actually she said that she was disappointed that George Saunders um, overlooked the significance of children in their New Yorker podcast about her because there's a child on every page I just got, I want to just read this last bit because she says the reason why most people of childbearing age get married is to have children and that seems to get overlooked in the discussion she talks about Carl's proposal Carl's proposal is like a pounce we could have a child if you want he looks for a reaction and she didn't turn away I think misogyny Irish style has produced a sense that you're not really a man unless you've produced a son to carry on your name it's that backward that it has to be your own flesh and blood it produces a type of cruelty that we call a family I like to think the story has something to say about not having children Part of me is concerned with the child that could have been born. They escaped. Wow. Isn't it really Ooh. deep? Yeah, really, really is. Well, I mean, I think a whole lot of her personal background is, is goes through all her work, you know, her childhood. And, you know, especially in the Antarctica, you see the countryside so well described and different things that people do in the country, which are completely foreign to me. Which, But then I was nearly like going out into the field and doing the things because she writes so effectively. So I think a lot of her whole writing comes from her own experiences. And I think she must love to be a teacher, Rosine, do you? Because that's a big part of her life yeah. now. She's a, she teaches writing. 
And she has she loves horses as well. She has two horses, I believe. Yeah, and she raises money for these wild horses in America. Yeah. I think. But, you know, it's fascinating that when she was very young, this family near where she grew up in Wexford, mm. Wicklow, Wexford, is it? Um, sort of, uh, she was, I think she was doing some domestic sort of work in their house and they t- obviously took a shine to her and they yes. brought her over to America and paid for her college fees, you know, oh. where she studied uh, literature. So she had this really, and that's why probably all the America stories come from, just very unusual very kind unusual. of experience. Um, and I just read in there in Martin's interview, in 1992, she came home, the first thing she wrote were 300 job applications, which generated 300 rejection letters. <laughs> um, I mean... She's, and she she really does love the creative writing and that's a massive part of her life. She's a very intriguing woman, a very intriguing woman. I just really look forward to anything that she... Me too. And it's funny because I've been in her, uh, well, not her company, but I've been down at various writer festivals oh, yeah. where she's maybe walked past me. And like, you know what I'm like about people I admire and can't keep away from them. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I'm just very... In my head, there's Claire Keegan and oh, I just, yeah. I'll just let yeah. her walk past and I will not yeah, go I over to her. And, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I get that. Um, yeah, yeah. It's not to say that she doesn't, I'm not, I've heard her talk about reader feedback and I know that she engages with it and stuff, but I, I just, I it's weird. I just yeah. didn't want to go yeah, up yeah. kind of sully her yeah. with my, with my, oh, yes, <laughs> which I did to Paul Murray. About well, I know the restraining yeah. order is in the post. We all know about that. Uh, that poor Claire man. Keegan won't have to worry about <laughs> me. I'm, I'm going to keep my distance. This is as much as uh, she'll have to worry. Well, look, I think all in all, So Late in the Day is a brilliant book club book. Really brilliant. OK, it's short. We all but love that's that. That's why it's also <laughs> no, brilliant. No, yeah. because I'll tell you, you, you know, we're only going to talk about it for, what, half an hour. I think you could get two and a half hours out of yes. this. No bother. Mm-hmm. And also because if you were in your book club with your pals, you'd be able to talk about the key event that we can't talk about. Yes. Uh, we, you know, the, the crux of the We can't talk about that. You'd be able to really dissect that and what that means. You'd be so... Because of the mm. suspense element, the tension element, we, we are holding a lot back. In a book club environment in your living room, you'd be able to hash yeah. it all out. So really, it's a fantastic book for I, a book I club. I think that's a great a great point. And also, I think an hour of that conversation would probably be everyone talking about their own experiences with men yeah. like Carl and the times these things have happened and, you know, when you kind of put up with it and then to the point where you just can't anymore and what is it? What is that kind of moment and point? It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I just... I just like to say that, you know, anyone who likes her writing, the Antarctica stories mm-hmm. are just absolutely brilliant and beautifully on Audible read. And then the other short story selection is um, Walk the Blue Fields, which is 2007, which has got a brilliant story in it that is, a uh, well, what, what do you call it? airy fairy? It's uh, slightly fantastical, you know what I mean? Uh, it, it's, it's really brilliant too. More surreal or supernatural or what Not, would you it's say? It's just... Uh, well, not crazy, you know. It couldn't really happen, but it did happen, and it's it was just wonderful—a flight of fancy of okay, this, some more wild imagination, type exactly, of thing, yeah. uh, which is slightly different from what we're used to. But the, I would recommend it still also, works. yes, indeed, yeah. everything she does works. I know. Walk the blue fields, yes, is another lovely 
stories. Okay. Well, stories. I think this is one of those joyful occasions when we're all <laughs> as <laughs> enthused up. about something mm-hmm. as each other and we can just be, yeah, I just feel very proud. I don't know, I get like that kind of feeling when, when there's one of our own is working in this way and doing so. And then that understatement is kind of, you know, if you think about on Colin Kuhn and all the hurrah, you never saw her once around it or not that she, she could have, I wouldn't have thought badly of her if she was turning up at all the different things, but it's so much like a craft for her. It's so much her own private work and then she lets it out into the world and for other people to do what they will with it. And yeah, I just, mm. I just. We're in awe and in. We are. And we're like jealous of anyone picking it up for, for the, the first, first time. time. But I know I feel like we'll all read it again, you know. Oh, no, definitely. Yeah, because. Definitely. And also Faber have done her proud. It's a very beautiful book as well. Fair play yeah. to mm. Faber. I mean, it's beautiful. The, the gorgeous illustration on the front. Yeah. But I just love, do you know what? Isn't it wonderful to be somebody who can write a book like this put, and get it put in a hardback by Faber for 6,000 words? I love that. Yeah, you know, because some people are giving out about it. Oh, is it really? Oh, is it a book? Oh, is it a book? Like it's up for book of the year, and some people are saying, "Oh, well, I've heard on you know social media (laughs) a couple of snidey things," but I don't care. I don't care how long it is. It doesn't matter to me. This is a book. It deserves everything it gets on all the plaudits, and I. uh, yeah, I can't wait for her next well, one. She's written one apparently, or she's in the process of set sort of on a place like her, the farm that she grew up on. Can you imagine what mm. the, that is going to be like? Excellent. Because nature also comes through mm, yes, a lot in does. all her work. It, it, a lot of the sto- short stories. And even the cat and yes. the kind of just animals and nature mm. and all that are very, mm. very um, important. Anyway, it's just been lovely talking about it actually and uh, I hope everyone who hasn't read it enjoys it and do come back to us um, the women's podcast at irishtimes.com and let us know what you thought and what she means to you as a writer Claire Keegan but in the meantime Bernice, Anne and Denise, thank you so much Thanks Roisin Thank you Roisin Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us.